Don't hit your chair this time. I'll try not to. <laughs> What'd you hit your chair? Sorry. Yeah, we're All going. Right, we're going. Welcome to Access Louisville, a podcast of Louisville Business First. I'm David Mann, a reporter here at Louisville Business First. And with me today is Haley Coffin. Hi there. And Chris Larson. How's it going? All right. Each week we are going to bring you the latest in news and sharp opinions on this city we love, Louisville, Kentucky. This week we're going to be talking about the city's struggle for tech talent as well as the restaurant business and how well it wields PR. But first, let's get to know our host with a difficult and probing question that has only one right answer. Guys, you're both transplants to this town, and you can tell us where you're from. But if you were to pick one Louisville neighborhood to live in, price is not a factor, availability is not a factor, you don't have to hire movers or anything like that. What neighborhood would it be and why? And Chris, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I would actually want to live in uh, certain parts of old Louisville. Some of those houses are just incredible. Uh, also, yeah. kind of the Cherokee Triangle, Cherokee Seneca area, I think would be really awesome places to live in, uh, especially if money was not an object. Yeah. Uh, but One right answer, though. What's, well, then what's, what's the one right answer? You tell me, what is the one right answer? Yeah, I don't know. You gave me two neighborhoods. you gotta, All right, you got to so go one. All right, fine. In that case, I think the one right answer would be Old Louisville. Old Louisville. All right, how about you, Haley? So I'm originally from the Evansville, Indiana area. Yeah. And um, I came to Louisville a lot growing up and kind of got to know some of the neighborhoods, but I did not get to know New Lou. It's yeah. totally new to me um, since I've been it's in college. new and to a lot of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm at New Lou all the time, so that would probably be the neighborhood that I'd be most interested yeah. in living yeah. just because it's so convenient <laughs> when I'm trying to meet all of those entrepreneurs and other folks over in New Lou. So yeah. Plus the, the cookies that please and thank you. Can't, yeah. can't miss those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are great. Every uh, day. I, uh, not that anyone asked, but uh, I, would, uh, I would kind of agree with you, Chris. Uh, Cherokee Triangle is amazing. I, I think that's a great neighborhood. Uh, I would also put downtown on there. I guess that would be my one right answer is downtown. It's missing a few things. There's a uh, lack of grocery store and neighborhood amenities like, um, you know, like a neighborhood bar. All the bars feel like they're for tourists or whatever. But um, but I do love downtown. I love the architecture and just kind of the history and, and that sort of thing. So, so anyway, I just um, – I ask questions like that because we're a new podcast and we're, you know, just uh, trying to break the ice, get to know our panel a little bit. Uh, And plus, we have a serious topic to talk about today. Um, 2019 is what some leaders in Louisville are calling the year of tech. And there's a big focus on making sure that Louisville has the tech talent that it needs going into the future because tech is seen as... Uh, such a huge and growing industry, and we're kind of out of the ball game right now. We're not, we're not keeping up. So uh, Chris, I brought on Chris this week because uh, you just wrote a story about an interesting uh, initiative to try and meet that need for new tech. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the initiative is called Lou Tech Works. And before I kind of you know get into what it is, I think we need to set up a little bit of what the issue is, at least for Louisville and tech. David, you touched on it uh, a little bit, and that's kind of the, the the unfortunate reality that a lot of the tech growth or the renaissance that a lot of these mid-sized midwestern and southern cities that, are, that we're seeing 
come around you know the tech specif specifically in digital technologies that those industries are experiencing a certain renaissance and the reason that we want this not just for growth's sake but it's also to kind of future proof our economy which is very heavy heavily focused on areas that will be highly impacted by artificial intelligence and other right. automation technologies so the idea is that to both experience the growth that the cities have other cities have experienced but also to kind of protect the future of our economy we need to be seeing more people in tech jobs. There's a shortage of people to fill the jobs. Uh, so Louisville Forward has gotten the commitment of several education institutions in the area, including more or less all of the uh, major colleges in the area, plus uh, Code Louisville, which is a, and and a group called Tech Louisville. Those are Kentuckiana Works projects to increase the number of people who are receiving technology training. The idea is that these groups want to boost the number of people who are getting these you know, tech certs and tech training up to about 3,000 people a year over the next four years, and then, of course, past yeah. five years as well. The idea is that if we're getting more people with these tech training, we will get more companies to do more hiring because there is options for them out there to get talented people into their organizations, and that will kick off kind of a positive feedback loop of there's more talent available, businesses will hire more people, those businesses will be successful with those new people, They'll grow their business and they'll hire more people as well, mm -hmm. kind of creating this positive feedback loop and you know kind of touch off this tech renaissance we're looking for. So I get the sense when I'm covering companies that um, there's this just there doesn't seem to be a sense of urgency about um, tech talent here. Uh, it seems like a lot of companies like, oh yeah, we need that. Well, just going to go back to business as usual. Like they acknowledge it, but it, I don't feel like they're doing it. Um, so I wanted to get you, you two's opinion. Um, Haley, you cover startups, and Chris covers healthcare. Um, you know, what's your um, take on just the uh, level of uh, available talent here in Louisville? Just from what I've heard, I feel like it's growing. It's just not growing at the pace that everyone wants to see right now. Right. I think other cities are seeing a lot of Yes, that, so. and it, it's quickly growing in other cities, and it's taking longer in Louisville for a variety of reasons, I feel like. But some of the business owners and entrepreneurs and tech folks that I've been talking with, um, right now they're kind of focusing on maintaining the current talent level that they have and making sure that those people stay in Louisville and have a good working environment within those companies. Right. A good example of that would be Advanced Business Solutions. Um, they just opened a new HQ with their employees and their working environment in mind, and they focused a lot on how they can make working a more enjoyable experience for those tech folks. Um, mm -hmm. And they're actually adding like 15 tech jobs um, yeah. this year. So yeah. lots of this stuff. It sounds like there. They, there's a lot of these uh, like small success stories like that. Yes. So it's slow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of goes back yeah. to what you're saying. So how about healthcare, Chris? It seems like that's a an industry that probably needs uh, a lot of technical expertise. It does. Yeah. So you have kind of two parts to just healthcare uh, generally in one at least in this context, when I'm talking about healthcare, I'm talking about doctor's offices, uh, you know, hospitals and things like that. Uh, there's kind of the two parts are your administration, the people who are overseeing the operation, and there's actually people, you know, going hands-on, frontline, taking care of people. And both of those have kind of different levels of uh, adoption of technology. His, healthcare's actually historically been really bad on the administrative side of, of adopting new technologies because administration's kind of seen as the best place and only, like, kind of morally justifiable place to try to cut costs for a lot of healthcare providers. It doesn't do well to try to, you know, cut too much 
on you know the provider side because the idea is that the quality of care and the people you can take care of goes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have a lot of you know at least until very recently a lot of investment in kind of using technology to revolutionize administrative processes. But we have a lot of companies in Louisville now that have actually been really successful in trying to help uh, the administrative side of healthcare turn around. The big example that I can think of is Waystar, formerly Zermed. Their whole job is to try to take care of the revenue cycle management side of healthcare, pretty much like your billing collections, yeah. working with insurers and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but then on the actual hands-on side, it's technology all the time yeah. because you got to try to improve your healthcare outcomes all the time for a reimbursement, for reimbursement, and getting other, paid. Yeah, you know, if you actually I mean, want to do well by patients yeah. and take care of them, but also you know meet the standards of insurers, you got always have to be improving your quality of care. Yeah. All right. So I, you know, I get the sense that Louisville has a hard time attracting companies and people who, um, companies that could bring the tech talent and people who are the tech talent. So I figured since I got two transplants in the room. Um, I would ask, you know, what do people back home say when you tell them, I'm living in Louisville, Kentucky? What What is the view of the city out there in the world? Yeah, when I told my mom that I was uh, going to take a job in Louisville, Kentucky, she said, oh, <laughs> is that by Nashville? Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> and, of course, that was, that was actually the answer that I gave, you know, back before before I moved here was sort of, because even then I wasn't, yeah. like, really sure, like, where to put Louisville literally on a map. I think for a lot of like Westerners, the world doesn't really exist past about Texas. Yeah, um, I, you know, I just get, I, I start to wonder: is it, you know, people think it's like this, like cool hidden gem, or do they think it's a sleepy one horse town? Haley, what's what's your take on that? I know you're not from as you're from closer to this yes. region than Texas. Yeah, and I, but I, actually, I don't think I ever said where I was from. I moved here from from Utah. I graduated oh, yeah. from Brigham Young <laughs> University, so that kind of puts that Western context background in uh, <laughs> coming into context. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I think I forgot to ask. No, so. I forgot to say. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> that's a that's a, a, a reverse way to. Uh, we're, we backed into that one, but uh, but Haley, I guess uh, tell me about you. You're from Evansville, so you you, you probably grew up watching the you know local TV news here and kind of knew what was going on in this area. So wh- what do you think? Um, I think people in Indiana, which I don't think the vice versa of this is true, but people in in- Indiana think Louisville is a super fun place. Oh, There's really? tons of entertainment options. In fact, I would say you know over half of my high school graduating classes came here for their bachelor or bachelorette <laughs> parties. Right, yeah. um, well, at least there's that. There's lots yeah. of fun places to go. <laughs> so, so people in Indiana see it as an entertainment city. I don't yeah. think they see it as a tech or yeah. um, otherwise oriented city, but there's lots of fun things to do, so that attracts yeah. folks from Indiana. <laughs> I, I get that sense as well. Um, I, I'm from the area. I'm, I'm from Bardstown, so I'm not from Louisville itself, but... Uh, you know, parts of town's not too far away, and I kind of consider Louisville my hometown just because I've been here for so long. Um, but, I, you know, I kind of get the sense when I'm talking to people who aren't from here that, you know, some people see it as this uh, town that has a party once a year at Derby, um, and uh, other people kind of see it as like, oh, this is this hidden gem, you know, like um, kind of a hipster place or whatever. But um, I, I don't know what that does to our image when we're trying to attract companies here and if people think, you know, does Louisville even come to mind? So I guess that's, you know, something I've always kind of wondered about. Yeah, and I thought that, at least from, from where I'm coming from, you know, out west, you know, Utah is a lot closer to the big innovation hubs on the coast, you know, like, you know, San Francisco, Seattle. A- anything that has to do with, you know, big business, you, 
people in Utah and past a certain line, you know, on the map aren't looking back this direction for, you know, opportunities in business or an in innovation. They're looking to California. Right, right. Looking to Washington. Uh, so at least for me, there's enough of a pull and enough gravity to pull there that could have, at least for my career as a journalist, it could have pulled me towards the other coast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since I'm not in tech, so I can't, you know, speak specifically to what the hiring rates are like, but just looking at the numbers, the coastal towns are, you know, this is an obvious statement, are where the greater gravity are for anybody that has any modicum of a STEM education. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, Louisville's trying to learn a lot from San Francisco this year. Um, the uh, the GLI trip, which is this, this annual trip where GLI folks go and try and learn different new practices uh, from different cities. They went to Denver last year. I think it was Nashville the year before that. This year they're going to San Francisco because it's the year of tech. And of course, San Francisco is seen as this um, this uh, beacon on the hill when it comes to technology. Uh, just a lot of, you know, that's, that's where to, the place to be. So I, I can imagine it's hard um, to convince uh, technology startups or whatever to um, be here in Louisville when, you know, San Francisco is the obvious place to be. And even places closer, uh, Nashville or um, even Columbus, Ohio. That, I think I mentioned Columbus on the last podcast. I must be in love with Columbus, Ohio. But uh, but a, a lot of startups go there. So I, f I feel like we're, we're lagging behind some of these, even the regional competitors and definitely national competitors um, like San Francisco. Uh, so uh, just switching gears real quick here, you know, do, do you guys feel like employer employers are reacting fast enough on technology changes? I mean, you guys both touched on this a little bit, but... Are, are, do you ever see companies that are lagging behind their competition because they're not embracing technology fast enough? So I cover healthcare and higher education. So the so starting with higher education, the answer is definitely yes. Uh, universities, especially the you know land grant based or other publicly funded universities, are large, administratively complex animals, and and they on the administration administrative side again. You know, the, the, the focus isn't necessarily on how best to run a university. It's, you know, how, how best to educate students, how best to support research, you know, how best to, you know, foster and grow other parts of the university, like a sports program. So oftentimes investment in administration isn't, isn't always great. Uh, again, pointing to a, a, an example of where this is kind of changing a little bit is uh, a group called The Learning House and Capture Higher Ed. They're kind of related companies that mm -hmm. help, that help uh, kind of take care of some of that administrative burden for, for some colleges. And then again, on healthcare, you got, it's, it's a highly regulated world and the pace of innovation in healthcare is really slow. I mean, it, since it's so highly regulated, you, you can expect, you know, things like new drugs or new treatments to take at least a decade to get from idea yeah, to market. Yeah, that's a different industry. How about you, Haley? Do you got anything to add to that? So I don't think any employers or any industry necessarily is responding fa fast enough to the growth in tech. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, happening too right. quickly for people to catch up with. Um, even in our own industry, print media and mm -hmm. digital media, um, we're having a lot a hard hey, time. Hey, we're sitting here doing yeah, this. So. We're, we're sitting here doing a <laughs> podcast, but see, when did podcasts start coming around? And we're just now doing this in 2019. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think anyone. For the record, this is our second podcast. Yes, first for the one record. <laughs> first one didn't go so well so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think everyone is slow to adapt and i think the way to combat that a little bit is to actually have folks that are employed by certain companies or certain industries that are searching for innovation in tech like humana and their blockchain program mm -hmm. um, was really interesting to hear about because they're actually looking for ways that block 
blockchain can be utilized within healthcare. So I think once you designate someone to actually search out these things and figure out how it can apply to what you're doing, um, that's when it starts to change at a faster pace. Yeah, yeah, that's probably uh, good advice. And I think a lot of the, you know, humanas and that sort of thing, they're probably a lot quicker to get those resources. So um, let's switch gears. Much lighter topic. Let's do. Uh, <laughs> restaurants. Our cover story this week was about the way restaurants wield PR and how it can help them, you know, in an increasingly uh, competitive landscape. Uh, so I, I used to cover restaurants here. Haley covers restaurants here. And, and you contributed to this story a little bit too. So, um, you know, I guess just what I want to ask as just a follower of the restaurant scene here, you know, has restaurant PR ever worked on you, Haley? <laughs> Um, I think it works on me in a way of keeping me informed. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm not constantly checking in with some kind of owner or operator of a restaurant, I fall out of the loop and don't know what's going on. So PR works in in the way of keeping me like, hey, this new restaurant's opening up or they're changing this concept or they added a new executive chef. So in that way, yes, it does work. I think it it works on me as a consumer. Um, Every time, you know, people say, oh, it's – this handcrafted uh, experience. I'm like, ooh, handcrafted. I got to try this. And I, I get curious about it. Even though I've, I, I know how the sausage is made, that's just uh, PR. Um, you know, that's just, you know, those are just words that people use to market their restaurants. I still uh, become curious about it. So how about you, Chris? Do you ever, uh, you ever think that uh, uh, a PR campaign works to get you in a restaurant? Is that something that you think about? Uh, so for me, I'm actually probably a bad person to ask that question to because I'm not up You're on not a big restaurant. restaurant. I'm not a big, big <laughs> restaurant guy. But when I do look for those for a cool place to you know try to go eat, you know, you know take my wife on a date or go you know, show my parents or friends around town, I do pay more attention to places that are putting an emphasis on at least in their advertising on things that are like organic, <laughs> right, hand, right, handcrafted. Right. This is something that mm. is like actually something that's responsibly sourced yeah. and using all the buzzwords about. It's the you know, fear of missing out. I think that yeah. uh, that all the millennials but, yeah, talk but that, about. But that's the same time. Part of part of me wonders, like you know, if I'm going to go get, you know, a burger, and they're advertising that the cow that it came from was grass fed, <laughs> it makes me wonder, like, well, wait, wait, aren't most cows fed by grass? And then, then but no, then, like every they, time. Every time they, you know, some other, you know, part of the restaurant industry opens up a new kind of buzzword for, uh, for their advert, in their advertising and their PR and their marketing, I will kind of wonder. Well, wait, isn't that what happens normally? <laughs> well, you would think so. But what I learned when I was a restaurant reporter is um, a lot of cows are fed corn so they get bigger, so that they can, um, so that the farmer can get more meat out of them. Uh, so a grass-fed cow is more natural because that's what a cow would normally eat. Um, Blowing my mind. I know, <laughs> I know. You don't think about these food supply things, but, man, it's all industrial. Uh, I, you know, I am a little bit of a cynic when it comes to um, some of these things. Um, I kind of think that, you know, a lot of the restaurants that get attention are getting attention because they hire PR. It's not necessarily that someone out went out there and scoured every restaurant in America and decided which ones were good. You know, when you read an article in a travel magazine that says, this is the 10 best barbecue places, I bet all 10 of them probably had a PR agency, don't you think? Yes, I absolutely think that. And going along with 
kind of how I supplemented the cover story last week. I talked with Ed, Edward Lee, and he told me that any serious restaurant that wants to get out there on the map has a PR person now right. or someone who's working for them just to get their message out there. Yeah. And he reminded me that, you know, 610 Magnolia is going on its 17th year and success for them didn't happen overnight. Um, and yeah. it's still something that they build by one customer at a time coming in, trying their food and realizing, hey, this is awesome. Telling their friends, writing an article about that. Mm-hmm developing it that way yeah, and i really kind of kind of to, to backpedal just a little bit i really shouldn't and i don't you know fault restaurants or people who own restaurants for trying to make the most out of the this business opportunity that they're undertaking right and it's i mean to just to just for the sake of playing like playing the game to win to do well to, yeah. to make money to bring a great product to customers you have to get those customers in the yeah. door in the first place now you're going to do that it's going to be through PR. You go from a concept and idea that nobody has ever heard of, except for you know you and your friends who are getting this restaurant going, and you try to get other people who you don't know to come give you their money, and you can give them your great food, and yeah, to get, get that whole cycle started. You usually need to start with a good PR firm. If you're going to play the game, play it right, man. Show up and uh, you know advertise. Get the get the word out there. Um, it's interesting you brought up uh, Chef Edward Lee. Uh, it seems like chefs are kind of at the center of a lot of the PR that we're seeing where, the, you know, it'll it'll be their personal story, how they grew up with their grandma's cooking and turned it into this fabulous menu, that sort of thing. Do you like to know, just as a consumer, not as a reporter, the chef at the restaurant that you're eating? Is that is that a, a thing for you guys? I think it makes the experience feel more special when you know who's yeah. making your food or who created the idea behind the food. Um, for me personally, but it doesn't deter me from a restaurant yeah. if I have no idea who's yeah. cooking the food. So um, I'm either way on that one. Yeah. Likewise, as a as a consumer, it really it, I, I don't care. But <laughs> like, as a reporter and as a storyteller, as someone who who is out who is you know as my daily employment in writing stories being able to learn about the background on this you know facet of of a community is isn't is always interesting you know uh, there's always you know a radio program or you know a social media you know kind of focused you know short video about the background of some some particular you know chef and hearing about how they crafted their dish where it came from the cultural roots behind it the mm-hmm. inspiration but also the personal journey that you know the person had to get to to get this famous restaurant it's, it's always interesting. It's always a great, you know, yeah, a winning story. Yeah, for purposes, it is. And um, I fall for it so hard that uh, I'll go to a restaurant, I'll order a sandwich, and it has pickles on it. I don't like pickles. But I will be, <laughs> I will say, that chef decided this sandwich should have pickles. And I want to know what his artistic vision was and Behind taste this thing with the pickles. And then, of course, I eat it, and I'm like, oh, that was gross. I didn't like that. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yeah, just another, another one uh, we started talking about artisanal and crafted food what's your uh your favorite adjective so far Haley? that uh that restauranteurs are using to describe their food so i think there's been kind of a transition here in louisville um based on the competitive market or competitive market for restaurants i think they're trending away from um more of these words that you're seeing all the time whether it's um artisanal or fine dining they're moving more towards a transition of accessible, affordable, yeah. hmm. um, something that you can feel comfortable with in addition to trying something new. Hmm. Um, just because they're trying to get 
the people in there that wouldn't necessarily go into that restaurant just because they're afraid that they wouldn't like the food yeah. and they'd have to pay two hundred dollars yeah. for a meal. Well, that, now they're talking my language. So, so, so there's <laughs> definitely a big shift that I think is happening. Um, I've seen it in three different restaurants so far that I've been oh, writing about. What um, are the three? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, so one of them was the transition to steak and bourbon over in uh, Westport oh, yeah. Village, yeah. and the chef use those words all the time, accessible, affordable, approachable, Mm -hmm. making their menu more family-friendly, more consumer-friendly, and not necessarily a fine dining or unique experience. It was formerly Artisano, I think, and now it's called Steak and Bourbon. Is that open yet? Yes. Okay. It is open. And and they've been using that phrase. That's interesting that they would use it on a a place called Steak and Bourbon. I would think that that's a high-end place. Well, it's... It's sort of high end. It, it's kind of like a step above what a regular chain restaurant would be. It's kind of it still has the local ties, the mm-hmm. unique dishes that are central to here. They're using fresh ingredients, mm-hmm. um, specific cuts of beef, that kind of thing. But they're bringing it down a level for regular consumers who want to go out more than once a month. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like a lot yeah. of people don't want to spend $200 on a meal and then not be able to go out again until yeah, yeah. next year. It's definitely a consideration, especially with a lot of these. Another one of those uh, restaurants I was thinking of, I just talked with Chef Paul Sant of um, the Sealbach. He yeah. is now over Gatsby's on 4th. Yeah. And so I talked to them briefly just about why they closed the Oak Room which is one of Louisville's only four-star, five-star oh, yeah. fine dining experiences. And they also use those words. We want it to be welcoming for people to come in off the street and right. feel like they can eat here and not feel like they have to put on a three-piece suit. The way I understand it, uh, fine dining is going away. Like, yes. Um, I wrote a story, it was before you started here, about a, a place called Corbett's, which was out on the East End. And uh, I know that... Uh, yeah, I talked to the chef there, and uh, he he told me at the time um, that uh, that fine dining just you know wasn't it isn't the draw anymore. People uh, just want something more casual. It sounds they like want something that. more casual. They want something less time consuming. Right. They don't want to spend three hours waiting five, for yeah. five courses. Five to courses come out. can take a long time. <laughs> so. Yes, and so I'm seeing that as I talk to more chefs and more restaurant owners, I'm sure. seeing that transition into less fine dining, more casual, more approachable restaurants. Yeah. All right. Chris, any, any favorite words? My favorite word is always handcrafted. Handcrafted. Always handcrafted because, you know, yes, you know, technology and automation have impacted several facets of our lives in ways, in ways we previously couldn't imagine, but I'm still waiting yet for my robot, for a robot to make my burger. If the robot has hands, would it be handcrafted? It probably, it, okay. Touche, David Mann. <laughs> How would you find that out, though, if something is actually handcrafted? It's not like they're going to let you back in the kitchen to watch them, you know. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, but, like, the safest assumption right now is that the food industry is still looking at, you know, having people make you know, make their food. It's a lot easier to try to pay, you know, a, a chef a barely competitive wage than it is to try to invest in a hundreds of thousands of dollar robot to make That's the food. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know. It goes back to the tech discussion we were having. Um you know, uh, I'm stealing this joke, but uh, you farm to farm to fork and farm to table uh, yeah. are um, are big buzzwords, or at least they were. And uh, our editor Shay Van Hoy once said he wished there was a restaurant in town called Farm to Face. <laughs> 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 I always thought it was funny. I don't know why, but it's, 
that tickles me. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, I don't think there's any other way we can end it except right there. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's all we have this week. Um, we're a new show. We're still finding our footing. We appreciate you checking us out. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever fine podcasts are subscribed to. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear more, uh, uh, hear us discuss, or uh, or you think Business First should cover, you know, in, in, on our website or in print, uh, feel free to get in touch with me at dman at bizjournals.com. Uh, that's D-M-A-N-N at B-I-Z-J-O-U-R-N-A-L-S.com. Uh, always happy to hear suggestions. I uh, look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you feel the same. Uh, thank you, Haley. Thank you, Chris. And until next time. <laughs>